0: John chapter 12, 1 to 19. Please read with me. Jesus anointed at Bethany. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served while Lazarus was among those replying at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she would save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. And it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realise that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed the sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, This is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Well, whenever I visit a new place, a new area, I always do one thing. And I suspect you do the same. I Google top things to do in this space, in this area. What are the things that you must do? What are the things that if you're missing out of, you don't do? But to be honest, the last couple of months, we haven't gone to any new places. And uh, we've all been a tourist in our own LGA. But I wondered what are the top things to do in Sydney? And so there's a website, top 65 things to do in Sydney. Number one on the list was this. Swim at North Sydney Pool by the Harbour Bridge. I thought, yeah, that's pretty good. But then there was number two. Cozy up with cats at Catmosphere Cafe. Cozy up with cats. That's number two on a list of top 65 things to do in Sydney. Number two. I thought it was a joke, so I clicked on the website. No, it's Sydney's original cat cafe, Book Meow, it says. Now, look, I've got nothing against cats, right? But even if you love cats, do you think it should be number two? I feel like they were so close and yet so far. In John 12, we're going to see some followers of Jesus who were so close to Jesus and yet missed completely what it was all about. And so we're going to really, I'm going to speak to particularly today those of us who who are Christian and have been Christian for a while, and draw out from this passage three subtle dangers that we can face where we move Jesus from the number one place in our life. So John 12 is an ordinary chapter for John's standards. There are no signs or wonders. It's an ordinary chapter. It's really the aftermath of a great miracle in chapter 11. But it begins with a party. A party that guaranteed none of us have been to. It's not a birthday party, it's a resurrection party. Where Jesus, uh, sorry, Lazarus died, the funeral happened, but then, as we saw last week, he rose from the dead because of Jesus Christ. And if that happened, would you not party? Now this party is going off. But then Mary, Lazarus' sister, does something that brings this party to a grinding halt. And silence, an awkward silence, descends upon the party. Have a look, verse 3. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, you might be thinking, oh, okay, this is probably a cultural thing. Nope. To understand how silent the silence would be in this moment, you need to appreciate two things. One is nard. Now, nard is an oil extracted from a nard plant that's found in India, a long way away from where these guys were. Uh, this week I, I was Googling, I want to buy some nard, right? And I thought well, it was be good for the sermon. Or, you know, we had some nard, we can smell it, and then Naomi reminded me, you're preaching online, they won't be able to smell it. So I saved myself $80, right? It may be only $80 now, in today's currency, but in that day, this was an expensive perfume. Up to 60 grand equivalent it would have been. 60 grand. And here, Mary takes it, pours it on Jesus' feet, it drips off his feet onto the floor into the drain. $60,000 gone... In a moment. But more than that, she uses her hair to clean Jesus' feet. Now, this is a very conservative culture. Women did not show their hair in public, only really to their husband, and yet she, in this public space, is wiping Jesus' feet with her hair. Not only is this Mary's act an extravagant act of generosity, it is very vulnerable and intimate. Now, why is Mary doing this? One word, worship. Worship. Mary's heart is full of wonder and awe and thankfulness overflowing in this breathtaking moment. She has seen Jesus' glory, tasted the truth, glimpsed his grace. Her brother is alive and she cannot help but worship Jesus. She grabs the most precious thing she has and gives it to him because he is worth it. She gives the most beautiful and cleanest part of herself, her hair, and wipes the dirtiest part of Jesus, his feet, because the least of Jesus is worthy of our best. She cannot help but show her love to Jesus. And what is interesting is this moment exposes those around Jesus to see what they think Jesus is worth. Enter Judas. Verse what is it 5? Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. Now, no one really likes to identify with Jesus, a uh, Judas, but I think of Veronists, most of us are probably thinking what Judas thought. I mean, sixty grand. I mean, she surely could have done 50, 50, right? Spent, spent half of it on the poor and you know, put the other half on Jesus' feet. I mean, we're supposed to be stewards of God's money. I mean, think about the impact this money would have had. Now, all of those are good responses. But it's interesting what Jesus Doesn't say, he doesn't say, you know what, Judas, you're right. Mary, what were you thinking? What a waste. Now, what does he say? Verse 8, you will always have the poor among you, but you'll not always have me. Now, that doesn't sound like a very Christian thing to say, does it? But I mean, it's Jesus. Now, it's easy to mishear what Jesus is saying in this moment. He's not saying, well, who cares about the poor? you know, some sort of fatalistic response. Well, we tried, you can't eradicate poverty, so just get used to it. No, 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 he's not saying that. Jesus has said multiple times, you need to care for the needs of the vulnerable and the poor. That is important. But he's saying something here that goes along the lines of as important as that is, there is actually something more important. It's the worship of Jesus. This is the first subtle danger, particularly for Christians who've been Christian for a while, can find themselves in, where we find ourselves moving Jesus as number one in our life and replacing him with a good thing, like caring for the needs of the poor and the vulnerable and social justice. Now, how it can come about often in someone's life, it might be from hurt you might have been hurt from someone in the church, another Christian, you know, expressing a biblical truth in an unloving way, and you sort of react because you want to be less doctrine and more about love. For others, you might be a doer and you feel like everyone's around you is just a talker, but you want to do and you, you wanna help the poor and the needy. Now don't mishear me. The Christian who is not caring for the needs of the poor, you gotta ask why. But if your Christianity is just about one thing, social justice, then what will happen is Jesus will become absent from your conversation. You will only focus on the physical needs and not the spiritual needs. Your identity will become in all that you do. I wonder if this is you. Jesus is saying caring for the needs of the vulnerable is important, but there is something more important, and that is the worship of him. And I'll tell you why. Because one day when Jesus returns and heavens opens up, to rephrase what Jesus says, verse 8, you will not have the poor among you, but you will have Christ. So if your Christianity is solely based on caring for the the poor, that will not last. For all eternity there will be no poverty, but you will have Jesus Christ. But if you get what Mary gets, that, that priority, then in fact you will love the poor better. Because if you find your identity in what you do, you will easily become frustrated and dismayed at the lack of change, the lack of impact, the lack of appreciation. But if your goal, friends, is to worship Christ, to glorify him, that no matter how big or small the change you make, no matter what happens, your father in heaven is pleased because as long as he's happy with the son, he's happy with you. And that will give you a motivation to love the poor deeper and longer. But the case with Judas is far worse. This is our second subtle danger for Christians who have been Christian for a while. Have a look, verse 6. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used it to help himself to what was put into it. Now, verse 6, you've got to realise it is written in hindsight. No one knew this at the time, right? It was only until Jesus betrayed Jesus for thirty pieces of silver that people realised he was a thief, and they looked back on everything he said in a different light. At a moment like this, that at first thought was an innocent comment, but it exposed who Judas really loved. It wasn't the poor. It wasn't even Jesus. It was himself. And as Mary poured that perfume onto Jesus' feet. He saw it as an opportunity for him to gain more. Greed is subtle. The love of money is a subtle love. It's not like adultery, where if you're naked with someone who's not your spouse in their bed, it's pretty clear, right? If you've got a knife in someone's back, it's clearly murder, right? Greed is not like... The love of money is so subtle it motivates us in all sorts of ways and we might not even realize that we're motivated by it it's like adult children seeing their elderly parent who's sick and encouraging them to go down the sister dying route because it's for her or his good but deep down they know there's an inheritance coming and sydney house prices are too expensive It's why you and I, when that friend or work colleague who has the nice boat, the holiday house, the great parties, we find ourselves being friendlier to them, saying nicer things, giving them gifts, words of appreciation. This change in behaviour comes from a love of money. And it is so subtle. For Judas... His story started with the genuine love of Jesus. I mean, he literally got a calling from the lips of Jesus. Come follow me. He leaves his career. He does. But I imagine bit by bit as treasurer of the money bag. One day they use the budget and a bit left over. And he secretly keeps it for himself. No one notices. So he does it again. No one blinks an eye and again and again. And he soon finds out that hanging with Jesus can be profitable. And friends, being a Christian, you might experience similar sorts of things. That Since becoming a Christian, you might be better with your money, saving and giving and spending. You might be receiving more because you're asking God to provide for your needs and he loves to give good gifts. You might be experiencing the generosity of other brothers and sisters in, ch- in church And you might also be finding that learning to hang out with Jesus can be profitable. You know what a Freudian slip is? You know when you're in school and you call the teacher mum and sort of awkward moment comes out, you're like, I want the teacher, but do I want my mum? And you sort of get confused, right? There's moments which I call merry moments. Merry moments that startle us and think, do I really want Jesus or do I want money? And... And merry moments are often acts of generosity, the enemy of greed. And God will put merry moments in your life to expose which master are we following, Jesus or money? There's a number in my life which have happened. I think of a family who decided not to go on holidays but give the money that were going on holidays to someone in need. I know of a, a couple who saw their adult children, they were financially okay, so they decided to give their inheritance... To Christian ministry. Even my own child who $2, all she had, wanted to give it all to compassion. And I see these merry moments, right? And you know what comes out of my mouth? Oh, but you've got to be a good steward, you wanna save. It's not bad to have a holiday and you know, you've got to look after the needs of kid. All these things. Innocent, good comments, but deep down are they exposing, do I love Jesus, or is there another love happening in here? The danger for us Christians who have been Christian for a while is we can get used to Jesus and find our love in another. But Mary, Mary gives generously. You know why? Because she knows which master loves her and it ain't money. Money does not care about you one bit. But Jesus does. And so she gives freely and generously to the one who loves her. But there is another third and final danger for Christians, subtle danger for Christians who have been Christian for a while. And we see it where? In the crowd. Have a look, verse 12. The next day... The great crowd had come for the festival, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Now, at first, this seems like a great proper worship service of Jesus, right? But you've got to understand those palm branches were were a symbol of Jewish nationalism. Imagine like uh, flags. And they're crying, Hosanna, which is the Aramaic phrase for save us now. These were used in 2 Samuel and 2 Kings, were all incoming kings. This event is very much political. Where Jews were under the Roman rule, they were oppressed, and Jesus would be the liberator. I mean, if he can raise people from the dead, he's some sort of superhero, right? He, he's going to help us kick butt. They love Jesus. But you've got to wonder why Did they love Jesus, because of the power he would bring to them. They were so close and yet so far. And the true, it's true today. A temptation for Christians who've been Christian for a while is that we can see, move Jesus from first importance and turn him into some sort of political Jesus, where he's come primarily to bring me religious freedom, to protect my rights so that I can have a voice. And it often begins with hurt, not in the church, but out, side of it a hurt, a wound that causes you to worry about fearing about the future. Where you feel like you're losing your voice, you're concerned about your freedoms, and you want to regain power, you regain it by accessing more and more knowledge, what's really going on. And you find yourself complaining more about agendas and groups and the danger is out there, not in here. And you listen less to God and more to YouTube. Is this you? Now, don't mishear me, seeking and pursuing religious freedom is a good thing. Christians of old the is a good thing. Standing up for your rights is a good thing. Begin out of love. God may be doing something to expose your heart. He does it this time, not with perfume, but with a donkey. Oh, look, verse 14. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. As the crowd is hyped up, they are zealous. Woo, Jesus is coming. He comes on a little donkey. Now, you might not be familiar with donkeys, but they are not majestic creatures. I mean, I've watched Man from Snowy River, Lord of the Rings. No one is coming in on a donkey, right? The crowd must be scratching their heads. I mean, this is not the king they're expecting. They're expecting war horses and chariots and power and sword and might. But here's the king who comes from Zechariah, as it was prophesied, gentle and riding on a donkey. And in one act is exposing the hearts. Do you still want to worship a king who is a humble king? When you cry, Hosanna, save us, you realise your biggest problem is not out there, but it is in here, your sin. Do you still want to worship the donkey king, Jesus Christ? And when you remember, brothers and sisters, of who you worship, how we worship the servant king, you engage in this world differently. Where our goal is not to win arguments or regain power, our goal is to live peaceful and gentle and quiet lives among the pagans. When our, the worries fear up, we remember, what does it say? Verse 15, do not be afraid. Your king is coming. He may be a humble king, but he's still a king. And he's in control. And though the plans may not be our plans, he is still in control. Friends, it's not atheism that is the biggest danger for Christians who've been Christian for a while. It's more subtle than that. It's when we get bored or hurt or discontent We lose the wonder of who Jesus is and we turn to other things, good things, but they replace Jesus. And often God puts the smallest of things, like perfume or a donkey, to expose what we really think Jesus is worth, what he is on about. And He does that to draw us back to our first love, Jesus Christ. To be like Mary. Now you may be thinking, yeah, but James, Mary's probably just a new Christian. You know, full of excitement and wonder. And yee right? She's just probably a new Christian. That'll change. I want to talk about bush turkeys for a moment. There's a picture of a bush turkey. Now as many of you know, I'm a bird watcher. And 15 years ago or so, I had never, ever seen a bush turkey or brush turkey, as a common name. And I grew up in Western Sydney. There ain't no bush turkeys out there, right? So I really wanted to see a bush turkey. Tick it off on my list in my bird book, right? And so I remember going mid-north coast to Dorigo National Park, and I was told there would be bush turkeys there. And so I looked, and I looked for hours. Do you know how many bush turkeys I saw? Zero. I came home. A year or two later, up in North Queensland, and there in the National Park, I saw my first bush turkey, and I was pumped, I was excited, I was like, yes, look at it, and you watch it scratching around, you know, look at the colours and the wattle, I was just so excited, I'd seen my first bush turkey. 15 years later, I probably have five to seven bush turkeys in my backyard every day. I almost ran over one on my dro- driving here to church today, right? They're everywhere. The excitement, eh, it's not that exciting. Sometimes we feel like that can be our Christian experience. We're excited for the first little moment, but in the end, we get used to them. In the end, we get used to just Jesus being there, being the answer. But friends, Jesus ain't no bush turkey. He is far better. And for Mary, this is not the first time she'd met Jesus. She had been following him for a while and yet still had this wonder and excitement and this joy just oozing out of her. How does she do that? What does she have to teach us who've been Christian for a while? Because Mary has two things to say to us that as a follower of Jesus, we need to follow. And I'm saying this to the men included. We need to be like Mary in this. Two things. Firstly, Mary never moves on from the gospel. As Tim Keller said, often Christians think the gospel is the ABC of Christianity. Then you move on to the next things. But no, it is the A to Z of Christianity. It is the motivation, the transformation that fuels worship. And Mary never moves on. She gets the good news of why Jesus came. It's Passover. She knows normally a lamb is same, but the first time a sheep would not be used, but Jesus would be that lamb who was slain, to take away the sin for the world, her sin. And so she preserves Jesus' body, as it were, when it comes to preparing him for burial. Because he knows for him to die means that others, like her brother, will live and live forever. She gets the gospel. She gets why Jesus is, has come. And that fuels her worship and wonder of the Lord Jesus. She gets it not because she's highly educated or she's some sort of emotional, spiritual person. No, no, no. Why do we always find Mary? At the feet of Jesus. Listening again and again to who Jesus is and what he's done. That yes, she is a sinner, but Jesus is a great saviour. You can look up into space at night and see the stars and think, you know what? Yep, cool, I get space. And move on. You can do the same with Lord Jesus. Look at Jesus and think, yep, cool, I get it, God resurrected. Look longer, sit longer. Because the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus is limitless and unending. There are treasures there that you need to mine, you need to find, and you need to delight in. You will never grasp the gospel. You can get it, but you cannot fully grasp the wonder that Jesus Christ died and rose again. And if the longer you sit at the feet of Jesus, the longer you open your word and see the treasures there, the more it will give you the the fuel, the motivation to wonder at the Lord Jesus Christ. Never move on from the gospel. Be like Mary. Sit and listen, listen to the words of Lord Jesus. But the second thing Mary does that you may need to do, is take God-honouring risks. For those of us who've been Christian for a while, you can feel a ho-hum in your faith, just going through the motions. But be like Mary and take a God-honouring risk. I mean, she could have washed Jesus' feet with a towel. She could have sprinkled a little bit on. She could have even just said, you know what, Jesus, I really love you. And that's it. But she took a God-honouring risk by pouring the whole bottle by taking her hair and wiping his feet. And as the nard flowed, her joy and delight and wonder in the Lord Jesus flowed too. Take a God-honouring risk. Uh, there's a guy in our church, Peter, who, said, who invited six of his friends to Alpha. And he said this, It has been the most exciting thing I've done since being a Christian over 20 years ago. Friend, take a, God, a God-honouring risk. It might be a risk of generosity with your time or money. It might be boldness. Who knows what it is, but don't play it safe. Yes, Christians more likely will roll their eyes thinking, what the heck are you doing? Like they did with Mary. But shake yourself up to recapture the wonder of Christ because he is worth it. Take a God-honoring risk. As that party continued 2,000 years ago, we're told the room was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And everyone in that room was blessed by what Mary did. And though we may not be able to smell it, we are still blessed by what she did. Because in every gospel, it records this moment. We are blessed because out of love, God uses it to expose us what do we think Jesus is worth? And invites us to be like Mary. Be like Mary in recapturing that extravagant devotion, that love, and the worship of Jesus, brothers and sisters. Be like Mary. Let's pray. Lord God, we know that every time Your Word is opened, that You are at work, and Spirit, You are doing something in each of our lives. And we ask that we would not quench it, that we would not shut You out, but we ask, Lord Jesus, that we would be more like Mary who showed that love and devotion to you, not because there was anything special with her, but because she saw how special you are. Lord Jesus, as we continue weeks and months and years to come in walking with you, may we never get bored or proud or ho-hum of our love for you. May we not replace you with something else. May we never leave your feet and move on from the gospel. And may we take God-honouring risks. To the very least, tell ourselves to show that, that you, Lord Jesus, are worth it. Because you have been so radically generous to us. As we pray in your name. Amen.